0: Hey, welcome to episode 41. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and we are back already again with the next episode. So... Out of all the things we can talk about, let's continue our recent conversations regarding contracts and things like that by talking about Cole Caulfield's contract. And Cole Caulfield's contract apparently seems to be a point of which people want to create a chaos or stress to unnecessarily. Cole Caulfield's contract is going to get done. It's going to end up somewhere probably around $8 million. It will be really hard to justify if he gets paid more than Nick Suzuki. As great of an offensive threat as Cole Caulfield is, Nick Suzuki is a great all-around player. For that reason, I think you're going to see Cole Caulfield's contract right around that $8 million mark, which now means you're going to have two contracts probably eight years apiece, for just over $8 million. So as great as it's been to see Ken Hughes get rid of contracts that have been carrying a lot of dead weight and excessive payroll impacts, one has to be careful moving forward that we don't find ourselves in that same situation. Again, the team must remain very cognizant, which certainly Ken Hughes and many other members of the management seem to be in accounting for and spending every cap dollar properly and as carefully as possible. That being said, the cap obviously has not moved much as far as needlewise over the last couple of years and probably won't move much not only this year, but the following year. After that, it's expected to take off almost to a exponential level in some people's minds or what they've called that. I don't think it's going to increase that much, but it should certainly increase more than just by a million dollars a season. It also sets up what does the Montreal Canadiens do as far as other player contracts, as there's many contracts such as Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, Jordan Harris, Many others that will come due at that point. Obviously, Montreal would like to take a page out of the Boston Bruins and Tampa Bay uh, Lightning books by being able to retain their core players for many, many years. Which, in order to do so, they're going to have to really be cognizant of cap management. Additionally, as we're continuing to talk about contracts here, Sean Monaghan. As I've mentioned before, Sean Monaghan would be the only one of the veteran players, the only one with an expiring contract based on what he was able to contribute to the team last year when he came in. The fact that he finished with 17 points in the 25 games that he played. Hopefully over the summer he'll be able to become 100% healthy, be able to be ready for the beginning of the 23-24 season, won't have any lingering effects from the groin injury, the ankle injury, as well as the previous hip injuries he would be the only person i would consider re-signing and even considering re-signing him like i mentioned in the previous episode it would only be for one year plus a second year at the team's option to sign him for that reason until at least he proves he can stay healthy for 70 games at least out of an 82 game season he is just unfortunately as helpful As his mentoring has been, as helpful as his veteran status has been to younger players, and he truly has been one of the best mentors, if you're a fan of that term, for younger team players, much better than the rest. That being said, there's room for him. For between one and three years on the team, as prospects such as Owen Beck and others develop. But the one spot already belongs to Suzuki at Center, the two spot already belongs to Kirby Dock at Center, and the four spot, in my opinion, already belongs to Lucas. As we've talked about previously, I think maybe an excellent third line for the Montreal Canadiens in the 23-24 season, you're still going to have a problem unloading the Brendan Gallagher contract. Brendan Gallagher, Sean Monaghan, and Jake Evans for all different reasons. Jake Evans works out with Sean Monaghan in the summer and has for several years. Brendan Gallagher has met Sean Monaghan through Jake Evans. And of course, Brendan Gallagher plays with Jake Evans on the team and has for several seasons. They all know each other. So that may be a chemistry that is already established. That may be a chemistry that allows that to be a perfect third line for Montreal next year. Just in case they want to take Owen Beck along with several other players like Riley Kidney, Joshua Roy, and others and have them all in Laval. If Owen Beck comes into the preseason training count and looks ready to go. Why not make him the number three center on the team? He truly has to look ready to go. Development, which Montreal has a very good hold on, especially with the new management team, especially with the player development staff. Everybody talks about how Sean Farrell can't be rushed, so can nobody else, but that also includes players like Owen Beck, Lane Hudson. You don't want these players hurt or not able to have the seasons that they can have just because they were rushed into the NHL. Montreal does not have to do that. Montreal has more than enough prospects. It will show a great systematic design of the organization if players can see a path from juniors to AHL to the NHL, in some cases right from their junior team to the National Hockey League. Now, back to all the conversations about Juraj I still believe I would have sent him back to the finished national team last year. I don't think he belongs in the AHL. I don't think the AHL would have done him any good. I don't think he was quite ready, although he was physically. I don't think he was quite ready for the NHL last year. The reason also that the international game wouldn't have worked or made any difference for him is part of the reason he was in the NHL. Not only was this for development, but also to get used to the NHL size rink, which is not the same as the international ring. So all said and done, regarding Jerov Sikorsky, the NHL was, in fact, probably the best place for him last year, specifically because they now have a coach by the name of Martin St. Louis that won't destroy him like a Claude Julien, Elaine Vigneault, Michel Therrien, and others would have. Now, one of the interesting topics I said we'd talk about in the next episode after the last one was goaltending. And goaltending is going to take on a different kind of scenario this year as to how many can Montreal afford to have on the roster all at once. And the fact, of course, Caden Primo is no longer wire waiver protectable this season. So although he may not be ready, the Canadians find themselves in a perfect situation to see what if. And what I mean by what if is, is Caden Primo even possibly capable of being a backup goaltender? Caden Primo has been reported recently as saying he wants his shot. Jake Allen, unfortunately, although great team guy great mentor great person to have in your back pocket unfortunately like some other players has become very injury prone so that being said maybe the opportunity presents itself Montreal can move Jake Allen for a second or third round pick also get rid of his salary impact on the team though not as nearly bad as some of the other ones that they hope to get rid of and maybe Caden Primo can slide into a backup goaltender position just like this year Next year, Montreal isn't really expected to make the playoffs, also isn't expected to be in the bottom five of the league either, so in a year where you're expected to finish out of the playoffs and probably somewhere between nine and 16th next year, maybe that's a perfect scenario for Caden Primo to show what he can do. At this point, Caden Primo has been in the AHL long enough, and it's time to give him a shot, time to see what he can actually do, time to see if he can start at least with the backup role and work his way into something else. But he's going to have stiff competition doing that because Sam Montebeau certainly has proven he is the number one man in Montreal right now by having a far above expected season, which it was fantastic to see him have for some odd reason the chaos of defense and how Montreal has to have or draft more talent on the right side or how Montreal has to obtain a veteran presence for the right side again no they don't once again you had five rookie defensemen this year all established and take their places on the roster in Justin Baron, Jonathan Kovacevic, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, and Mike Matheson notice on that list I left off Jordan Harris. He can play right or left. He's a very smart player. He has no problem, though he's a natural left defenseman. Playing the right side, he is your other right defenseman. And quite honestly, I don't see any defenseman in this year's draft better than any one of those six players. That is not what Montreal needs to do. And as we discussed on the previous episode, left defensive, natural playing defenseman can play on the right wing apparently far easier or find it easier to play on the right side than a right side defenseman does on the left side. And Montreal has a lot of talented left defensemen. I don't think they need to draft anybody else. Plus, really, if you look at this draft, there really isn't the defensemen in this draft that were in the 2022 draft. This draft lacks a little bit of defensive talent. Doesn't mean to say a second or third round defenseman that was chosen won't turn out to be really well for some organizations. But there isn't anybody exactly setting it on fire as far as interest of, oh my God, you got to watch this guy. There really isn't anybody like that. There isn't anybody better than what Montreal already has in their systems, which is a pretty impressive group of defensive players. Prospects, And again, we haven't even talked about people. Logan Mylou happens to be a right-handed defenseman. We still have Lane Hudson, who is a very special talent yet to come. So Montreal has a lot of defensive talent. There really isn't anything they have to draft that's out there saying, draft me. Another chaotic story that's making its way around is how now since... Ken Hughes was able to pull off, along with Jeff Gordon last year, what's been called a magical trade in acquiring Kirby Doc. Nice to hear all the people that thought that was a bad trade admit that they were totally wrong. But now there's a belief that Montreal has to do that every off season. That is just not going to happen. Those kind of trades are not common. Those kind of players are not available. Montreal, in the case of Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon, and I'm sure others, did their homework phenomenally well. Understood what Kirby Doc was. Understood that he wasn't in a position to succeed. Wasn't being put in a position to succeed. Didn't have the right line mates to succeed, and they were able to go in and grab him. And Chicago last year, of course, make no bones about it, they were collecting draft picks. They were able to add another first round. Pick and the 13th pick overall that they acquired in that trade and montreal was able to send alex romanoff to the new york islanders and trade from a position of power yet being that he was another left-handed defensive prospect of the organization so that's why that deal worked out a deal automatically existing like that this summer for every summer is no guarantees if they uncover one great it just again shows their amazing abilities and talents homework and dedication to their jobs as management but there are no guarantees so everybody said they're going oh they have to make that same kind of trade they have to figure out how to get that same kind of quality player no they don't and by the way just in case anybody wants to throw it out there Pierre-Luc Dubois is not that same kind of player as you're finding out in the playoffs right now again consistency is not there for him some nights very prevalent very obvious you know where he is on the ice you can see the difference he's making a lot of nights you cannot so again that is not the player montreal needs at all moving on to the playoffs as they have not only arrived but are in full swing i really hope i would love to see some fresh blood meaning i would love to see seattle Colorado, but I also, as much as I'm a Montreal fan, I've always been a Montreal fan since 1970. The last thing anybody expects a Montreal fan to do is to ever root for or wish the Boston Bruins the best of luck. I truly do this year, especially since the Montreal Canadiens aren't even in the playoffs. I hope after the year that Boston had in a year where everything just came together, they were even able to overcome early season injuries to Charlie McAvoy, Bergeron, and to Brad Marchand. Hats off to them. 65 wins very impressive i'm not even going to begin to address oh, are they a better team than the 76 77 montreal canadians no they're not it's a totally different era of a game they were both great teams they happened at very different times in the nhl history they happened in totally different styles of play and era meaning that it's currently the cap era and things like that my hats off to boston and quite honestly In Boston right now, anything short of a Stanley Cup would have to be considered a waste of an amazing Cinderella year. And I would hate to see that end for Boston without. They really, really are this year the team that should win it all. And to that point, I would also love to see a Boston-Dallas Stanley Cup or something fun for the NHL might be like a Boston-Seattle. Stanley Cup. There's just some teams that are kind of like blasé, if you will, just kind of, oh yeah, if they make it, okay, well, you know, obviously, yeah, got to be good to make it, but I really don't want to see them in the finals. I'd like to see something exciting. A Boston-Dallas Stanley Cup final would be a good old-fashioned, hard-hitting, in-your-face, passionate Stanley Cup. I would love to see a Boston-Seattle game. You have the original six against the newest of the NHL, that whole kind of marketing concept. I think both those scenarios would be cool for the NHL. Other than that, it'll probably, especially if Boston gets knocked out at some point early, will probably be one of those Stanley Cup seasons that everybody's like, oh yeah, they did win. this team did win the Cup that year, but I didn't really care. It'll probably end up being something like that unfortunately. And to wrap up episode 41, let's just touch on the 2023 draft. A lot of people currently have a concern for where the Florida Panthers finished. It's not going to be such a terrible thing if the Florida Panthers finish in the upper teens in the first round and get knocked out because there is a goaltender by the name of Mike Crable out there that with Montreal's need for a goaltender or at least more prospects in the position of goaltender might just be a very, very nice fit between the 13th to 17th picks or somewhere in there, which probably 16 or 17 is where Florida is going to finish. So that's not necessarily a bad thing either. The harder pick to predict is probably Montreal's first pick overall of their own, which should be in the top three or the top five, depending on how the lottery falls. That's going to be a harder draft pick to actually determine who should be picked there. I know a lot of people obviously would love to see Connor Bedard, unless they finish number one overall, that's not going to happen. Adam Fantilli, I think is going to be a NHL pro player, the type of which is somewhere between Max Pacioretty and Josh Anderson. I don't know how excited I am about that. It's interesting, but I don't know if I'm excited about that. And unfortunately, the Russian, Mitchkoff, he's not going to be available for a couple years due to contract, and with the unstable situation over in that part of the world, he may never come over. And I would hate to see Montreal waste the top five pick on a guy that, though very talented, no question about that can't take anything away from that, may end up never coming over to the NHL and be a lifer in the KHL because of either political or social issues and things like that, that nobody can control over there. So yes, it would be interesting to have him there. But then again, you're also going to have a big discussion with all the people that say you can't have too many small players on your team because he's yet another five foot nine five foot ten player that the Canadians already have six or seven of. I don't believe that the concept of you can't have more than two or three of them on your team, but you do need a mixture right now. And so if you start getting towards nine or ten small players on your team, that may be a problem. That may put you at a disadvantage amongst other teams. Though at that point, we're talking about an awful lot of talented players in Sean Farrell, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Raphael, Havre Pinard, Mitchkoff would be another one. So you're talking about a lot of small but very talented people. And ironically, I've never heard anybody argue against Connor Bedard from this perspective, who also happens to be five foot nine, 175 pounds. So hopefully wherever he goes, he's gonna be surrounded by a couple of wingers that are going to be able to. Protect him because if not, he's also potentially could be bounced around on the ice like a pinball, which is never a good thing. So as the playoff seasons continue to unfold, hopefully we'll see lots of fresh blood, fresh teams. I I almost hesitate towards using the term fresh blood because I'm not advocating fighting or injuries to anybody. It's just a descriptive term. But hopefully we'll see a lot of new teams, a, a lot of something refreshing. I guess might be the other way to put it. So continue to have a fantastic playoff season as fans and we will be back with episode 42 before you know it thanks again for tuning in i am your host steven styles